Welcome to the Haunted Hacker uh, version May version 3, 3.0, I think. A um, little bit of news. Next week is the TechStrong live event. I'll be speaking in Boston um, and doing the Android hacking workshop, uh, teach people how to hack some droids and uh, write some malware. Um, other than that, not a whole lot of news. I'm just really excited to get this out and uh, been doing some work with uh, Tony Sales and some other people doing a really cool pen test that it should be public probably down the road. Um, but it's really cool. I think you'll like it. So without further ado, I have Ian Pointer on with me. And he has a fabulous background, really interesting. And Ian, why don't you go ahead and take over and tell us a little bit about yourself and what you've done. I never, I never know whether to do these things backwards or forwards, but I think I'll, <laughs> I'll do forwards, but I'll do it quickly because I actually started in the security industry in the early 90s. So I've been doing this for a while. Um, before that, I was, I was working at a software development company, uh, started my own company thinking I was going to help people to get on the internet. And what actually happened was I knew more about security than they did already and everybody wanted that. So that's what I did. And for about 10 years, I did consulting in security. I actually used to install the infamous trusted information systems firewall. Uh, I was one of their subcontractors. So we can go there if you want to. So I did that for a while. Um, after that, I, I was in, I swung to the dark side and worked for a security vendor. So I was a very early employee at a company called Bit9 that became, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, Bit9 Carbon Black got bought by VMware. I had left by the time they went public, but I was there for many years doing a whole bunch of things. Uh, you know, some of that code I'm responsible for, although they've probably purged it by now. And, um, I I started what I called sustaining engineering, which was basically a bridge between our software support team and our engineers to keep keep them out of each other's hair. Um, ran all the patches, did a bunch of stuff. Then I went then I went back to the other dark side and ran security at a genomics institute for a while, uh, which was entertaining. Then I took uh, uh, I swung over back to a little bit of consulting and worked at a startup for a while as a CISO, which was interesting in biotech space, which is where I spend some of my other time, apparently. Um, then I took a year off and went traveling and now I'm back consulting again. And I'm, I call myself a VCISO or you could call it VCISO or however you pronounce that. I had someone say CISO today on a call and I just sort of bit my lip. Um, but anyway, it's it's one of those things like GIF and JIF that's never going to be resolved. And so now I work with uh, mostly smaller startup companies as a part-time CISO, basically setting strategy, helping them do whatever they need to uh, in biotech, sometimes in software development, uh, whatever whatever takes my fancy. Um, you know, I'm I'm back to being small again, and that lets you choose your customers mm -hmm. and i like to form a close relationship with customers and really understand what they're trying to do because you you really can't be a CISO without understanding the business underneath it which is sort of the evil underbelly of of those of us that come from the tech side sure. um 
So, you know, cool. That's the, that was probably the slightly more than two cents and less than 10 cents. Nice. Nice. So it's funny. You mentioned uh, carbon black, My, the company that I work for actually uses carbon blacks MSP. And, you know, we have a lot of clients and we run carbon black, carbon black work, works really, really well when it comes to ransomware events with, you know, all yeah. the different types of, you know, segmentation yeah. and stuff. Really good stuff. It was, it was truly revolutionary when, when, uh, the founders of Bit9 patented some of the technology. I'd never seen anything like it. It's one of the reasons I went to work for them. And, you know, one of our early marketing people had to spend a lot of time and energy and money um, persuading Gartner to make a magic quadrant for <laughs> whitelisting because they kept thinking we were antivirus. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, we sort of created that segment. There wasn't anyone else doing that in the early days, and it was a ton of fun. Yeah, it's it's awesome technology even now. I mean, with, with ransomware, the micro-segmentation is phenomenal when it comes to knocking down ransomware. Like, yeah. if I didn't have Carbon yeah. Black, some of the incidents I've done would probably take me days, but I can get it done mm -hmm. like 24 hours. Yeah, there's a lot so, yeah. of fun stuff there. Yeah, and technology's the definitely improved. Oh, for sure. For sure. And I've, I've seen stuff like dark trace and some other stuff. And, and I've worked with, uh, you know, some people talking about dark trace and how they can improve the product. And I've got a few friends that work there. Um, but I think where we're at as an industry, as far as machine learning AI, we're, we're still a ways off from having true AI. Um, right now, I think mm -hmm. it's, it's really at best guess, it's probably just a little bit of machine learning and a very weak foundation of Bayes algorithm. Um, but I think over time they'll, they'll probably find another algorithm to use other than Bayes because Bayes really doesn't work really well with small subsets. You need large subsets of data. Yeah. So. I have a lot of, I have a lot, uh, had a lot of conversations and I'm prepared to have more about poisoning machine learning oh, it's as easy. a tactic. <laughs> it's very easy. And, you know, it's, there's a lot of ML out there and in the security space, I mean, it's like if someone poisons your translation um, algorithm, then you end up with a Monty Python sketch. You know, the the the, the one where he's trying to say, please say the uh, show me the way to the station, and he he reads it out of the phrase book and says, please fondle my buttocks. <laughs> and it's like, okay, if that happens, it'll be embarrassing, but it's not the end of the earth. But if you're trusting your universe to machine learning, mm -hmm. and what you're trusting is, oh, I don't know, driving a car or stopping a, a, a tax on a network, you've got a different set of problems. Oh, for sure, for sure. And when you look at like uh, machine learning and the way that most people deploy those solutions, they don't even check their network and, and do a baseline, right? They don't even make sure mm -hmm. that their network is secure and nobody's in their network. So they dump in this machine learning, it goes, oh, hey, all this corruption, all this fraud, hey, it's normal. We're good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it. You be careful what you train it because yeah. it might think that's normal. I mean, that's true for a dog, I guess, as well. But it's like, you know, I think I think ML is another. I mean, after 30 years in this business, we've had obsessions, you know, to I used to call it the Wall Street Journal School of, of Management. Why don't we have a VPN? The journal says everyone has a VPN. So take out VPN and insert machine learning or insert whatever. Well, why don't we have a bleh, whatever the latest thing is? Because everyone else has one. And then all the vendors get a big, you know, dog pile on the 
companies um, yeah, where sure. the CEO says we need this. And yep. so, well, we've got that. It, it's, yep. I don't know. Yeah, everybody tries to keep up yeah. with the latest technology. But the problem is that, I mean, when you look at where we started as an industry, and I, I, I talk about this all the time, and I feel like a broken record, but when you look at where we started as an industry with defense platforms, and then you look at what we have now, yes, there's been some changes, and there's been some small advances here and there, but really, it's the same pig with just different lipstick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like to compare... Oh, sorry, Kim, I cut you off. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, and also when it comes down to it, most of the things that are the causes for the breaches are the same basic thing. Mm. (laughs) It's never, it's just, yeah, it's just sad. People don't patch. That's the problem. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, absolutely. And that's not changed in 30 years, Mm. Um, which is, you know, I mean, I I look at our industry and how far we've come. And I'm kind of impressed because if I compare to say structural engineering and architecture mm-hmm. that have had hundreds and thousands of years and the Tacoma Narrows Bridge to convince everyone that maybe, you know, harmonics and resonance and or all these other things or how to build buildings that resist earthquakes or floods. And we've learned that through painful, very painful and often events often invol- involving death or at least flinging of cars off bridges, which is really cool, as long as there's no one in it. And it's, but, you know, we've had, we've had not very long. I mean, you know, how long have we had uh, computational engines? And I'm sure it's like, I could just see, you know, Ada Lovelace's evil stepsister uh, sitting there thinking, oh, how can I malware this? And, and it, this is, you know, we haven't had very long to really work it out. And it, you know, it's the old, it's the old sword that it, all it takes is one bad guy to mm-hmm. to break in, but it, to defend, you're defending against hundreds of people who are all using the fact that you haven't patched anything in three years. Okay. But it, but still, even if we, you know, even in organizations that patch like Maniac, um, you still are going to get break-ins because things are shifting and changing. Oh, for sure. And, I mean, when you look when you look at nine eleven, you know, talk about structural engineering and, and yeah. you know protecting yeah. buildings and, and what they can withstand, and then you take one group of people who completely defeated the whole process in one day. Mm-hmm. You know that well, that attack and, proved- and that was because they were doing and it, and it sounds terrible to talk about it in that way, but they were thinking outside the box because. They said, well, what could we do that no one could possibly have planned for and that no one in their right mind would have built for? And then they did it. Yep. And, you know, and and it was horrible and and blah, blah, you know, I can. But this specific, you know, why did it happen? It's because no one ever thought of that. Yeah. And, you know, that and take that on a micro scale with all these things that are, you know, with technology moving so fast and, you know, I don't know. Switching to APIs has made things interesting. You know, everybody wants an API. In fact, I usually tell people, well, don't buy that if it doesn't have a decent API because you never know when you're going to need to extend it or pull data from it or whatever. But it probably has an, an insecure API and you probably want to turn it off until you really need it. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's, it, it, it's, well, why bother, you know, why bother writing poison on the bottle until granny drinks it? Yeah. <laughs> right. 
right? Yeah, it's funny. Um, you know, you talked about how, you know, nobody had done that attack before. What was funny about, well, wasn't really funny, but what was interesting about 9-11 was Tom Clancy actually wrote a novel about someone flying a plane oh. into the Capitol. And so oh, after wow. 9-11, they actually pulled Tom Clancy and was like, talk to us about what you know, because he, he basically almost predicted mm. it. Um, but the thing is yeah. that people don't listen. So you have the engineers, you have the developers, right. Right. and you tell them, hey, you know, this is possible. This is going to happen. They don't listen to you. They code the APIs. They, they code whatever they need, and it happens. Well, I mean, that's where I, yeah. I'm constantly saying, like, people are, it's a human, I'm assuming it's a human nature. Until it happens to me, it doesn't matter. Like, doesn't matter that we've written about it. We've talked about it. We've like beaten our head against the wall. Like, well, it doesn't matter till it happened to me. So. (laughs) Well, don't don't get me started on public health. Um, (laughs) I have friends who work in public health and very often you're just sort of reduced to, oh, I work in cybersecurity and I feel your pain. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's human nature, like like Kim was saying, it's exactly right. It's like people you know the way we think as people doesn't change and no. the way we analyze things you know i, I remember <clears throat> I, I had to take statistics classes i do actually have a computer science degree which is it used to be really unusual in cybersecurity and made me happy because diversity of thought is exactly what we need and diversity in general is exactly what we need which is something that you know him and i will rant on about for ages if you give us a drink <laughs> <laughs> and but it's true and and i happen to have a, a computer science degree and they made us take statistics and it was kind of kind of a bitch actually it was one of those classes everybody was like oh and it was mandatory because our at ucl which is where i went computer science came out of the statistics department not out of the math department which actually made for a different program especially in the early days because statisticians are very different from mathematicians but what i realized after the fact and what i realized when it was going on is that the everything we know about statistics nobody actually really believes it that hasn't studied it and so when you start giving people probabilities it doesn't make any sense to them so if you say you have a one in 100 probability of i don't know catching some virus that means nothing to people. And you say, well, you have a one in two probability of catching it. It still means nothing, even though that's like, you could say hi to two people and and your likelihood of getting it is not 100%, but it's pretty damn high. Until they get it. And uh, well, get it and know they have it, but that's a different thing. And it's, you know, it, it's fascinating. I, I, I have seen a couple of times where people, you know, you can model network traffic with exponential distributions and you can, you know, some of the modeling techniques they use in statistics are really interesting when it comes to modeling behavior of threats or behavior of machine learning systems in the face of threats or any number of other things. But there aren't enough people who know how to do it. And I wouldn't say I'm even one of them either. So it's it's fascinating to me. It's a, a you know we we repeatedly relearn things and then forget them. Yeah, the uh, the percentage, the, the chance of getting COVID, for example, I'm sure is probably like one in fifty. However, I've had mm-hmm. it six times. So 
that one in 50 kind of goes out the window. And another thing I wanted to point out too, I, I just got over COVID last week. I was quarantined uh, for the multiple time. Um, but the problem was the government tests that you get for free that yeah. you get four per household, whenever you want them for free. Right. I took two of them. Both of them were negative, but I had, I just, I, well, thanks. Thanks for telling me that. Cause I just, <laughs> I forgot that I was allowed those and just ordered them. But it's like you know, I've had I've had shots, and I'm not going to go there into Me too. whatever that. Yeah. And it's well, like I've had, I, I I've I'm had pretty three. sure now. Oh, sorry. No, I please. I was going to say I'm pretty sure now I've had COVID because three people in three different states after I've described what I went through, they're like, "You had COVID." I tested positive, but I use that at home test, and everybody has told me that it doesn't catch the probably the variant I had or whatever. And I was like, well, that would make sense. (laughs) They 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 created the test when the first strain came out Mm -hmm. and they based it, they based it on COVID-19, not Omicron and its sub variants, but the original strain. Mm -hmm. And so all of those tests that people are ordering are shite. They just need to throw them in the (laughs) trash. Like they, they, they're worth nothing. I mean, it's, it's somewhat better than nothing because it makes people think. (laughs) It makes you feel secure. You know, I had well, we can we can talk about that too. But I mean, I had I had three shots, and I was thinking whether I should get a, a another booster, and decided to put it off because I, I, you know, I know a lot of people in biotech. I talk to people. I can talk a little bit of enough of their language to be dangerous, mm-hmm. and enough to read the papers and and whatever else. And I'm like, for for a, a, a long set of circumstances, I happened to take a, a COVID test. And was positive and had no idea. I'm completely asymptomatic. I, I, it was sort of like maybe I had a little bit of an allergy that I get anyway because I'm allergic to a little bit of tree pollen. Mm-hmm. So I sniffle a little bit and cough a little bit. Who knows who I gave it to? I had no mm-hmm. idea I had it. But the time I you know, worked out like maybe this is where I got it, it was gone already. Yeah. So I'm assuming as well, like him, that I've had it multiple times. My... My father was 89 when he got COVID and was asymptomatic. And we know it was real wow. because he had a PCR test done. And my mother had an upset stomach. So I guess I'm, you know, good with the genetic. But I think at this point, I think, you know, some of that sort of like uh, if we're going down the COVID rat hole, I'm just waiting to see when there is an enormous mess in China because they've dug themselves into this hole deeper and deeper because just like you can't have zero uh, intrusions or zero malware, you can't have zero COVID. Right. You can say you have it. And, (laughs) and, you know, I mean, if you've got the ability to lock down 20 million people, I guess you can sort of have it, (laughs) but that's not going to be tenable in the long term. So I'm just sort of waiting for it to, happen it was really funny too that i was watching live leak when i lived in london when the pandemic broke out and uh one of the videos from live leak had the military and the uh, police forces in china going into apartment buildings and literally taking steel bars and drilling them into the walls so people Mm -hmm. could not get out of their apartment i thought well you know that's one way to do lockdown yeah wow literal lockdown you lock it down i mean at this point you know i Nowhere in the in the EU or the UK will will test you as you come in. You have to be vaccinated. Canada doesn't test you when you come in. But the US, here's something that people don't know. You have to test to come in on a plane. 
but you can walk across the border without a test and you yes. can come in on a boat <laughs> without a test. Yes. So if you have COVID and you need to get here and you're either an alien who's vaccinated or a US citizen, you just fly to Canada or get on a boat and walk in. <laughs> And it's like, so why are we still requiring all these people to get tests and all the airlines to fudge? It's security theater again. Exactly. It's like, like the any, know, any rule on the firewall. The any, any rule. I mean, it's, it wasn't it Bruce Schneier who started with the security theater thread years mm. ago. Yeah. And I, you know, I remember hearing, hearing him talk about it years and years, too many years ago to say, because I want to, pretend like I'm in my 30s and um yeah so you know we're in our 30s exactly or as I, I used to say to a friend of mine 30 11 30 12 30, <laughs> 30. And, nice. and it's like you know it, it it this will never cease no so it's the shoes off you know Britain gave up on taking the shoes off years ago but yet we're still doing it here maybe yep. because pre-check is a revenue source I don't know it is. I mean, I'm lucky. It I is. have a credit card that pays for it, so I don't care. But, um, but no, I mean, there, there are security theater is one of the worst things, and COVID theater is just as bad. Just as bad. Public health theater, and you know, it, it puts you in a position where, when people should have been or should be wearing masks, they don't because they've come to perceive that some mask wearing is performative and theatrical. And so when you really need them to wear a mask, they don't. Mm. And, you know, security is really the same thing. Same thing. It's like if we keep, we keep crying wolf and we keep going on and on about, especially vendors, oh, my God, this, oh, oh my God, that. It's like this is not helping. This is not helping people to get used to it. So I have to tell you that a couple of <laughs> things happened at the FutureCon event that I went to. And uh, Chris Roberts spoke there. Um, he was uh, the keynote. And uh, uh, one real quick thing, talking about poisoning, one of the vendors did point out they uh, they were able to poison by changing six pixels in a, in a picture. Mm -hmm. Six pixels, that easy. Anyway, but Chris, yeah, Chris went on and did his wonderful rant of, about vendors and the, <laughs> the poor guy that went on after him doing his vendor speech was like, yeah, it was pretty brutal. That's all I'm going to say, but <laughs> it was, it was awesome and great and wonderful as Chris Roberts. So, so not only do we have COVID to deal with, but we also have <laughs> the new ransomware called monkeypox. Oh, oh. Uh, yeah. Monkeypox. <laughs> yeah. It just came through. It came through from London and there's a guy in the U S actually in Boston where yeah. I'm going to this next week that has right. monkeypox and i'm like yes it does what the hell you know before is ebola there was a guy in houston right. when i lived there that came from from africa for treatment and had ebola I and i'm like yes stay away here yeah <laughs> i i lived for many years in boston and feels like my hometown in a lot of ways i don't live there anymore but um many things i could say about boston i don't imagine that you'll get monkeypox yeah. So um, it's kind of an interesting disease, but I'm not going to go there. This is my yeah. like. Ooh. <laughs> I think I think the average death rate for monkeypox is like every one in ten in Africa yeah. that catch monkeypox yeah. die from it. But I mean, we've mm -hmm. come a long way. We have you know a lot more medical facilities and technology to help us rather than Nigeria or Congo. Um, right. 
Well, and look at, I mean, you look at COVID and how quickly the mRNA vaccines oh, uh, yeah. emerge. What's interesting is that Moderna were working on uh, mRNA technology for HIV vaccines, and really? they put that on hold for COVID. But there, you know, this this makes me feel like we might actually get an HIV vaccine out of this as well, which wouldn't suck. Isn't it amazing so, how quick they took after COVID to knock COVID down? However, in the 80s, when they should have been doing the same thing for HIV, they didn't. Yeah. Oh, I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we better not go down that route. Select, selective Darwinism. That's what I call it. And it's the yeah. government funded selective Dar Darwinism. Uh, yeah, it's it's you bad. Can, you can bet that it, if if it had affected only eighty year old white men, there would have been a vaccine in three weeks, for sure, for sure. You know, or at least an effort to have one. But because because it was a because it was a population that the government didn't want to talk about. I mean, Reagan didn't even mention AIDS for a number of years. I forget how many it was, but it was kind of looking back on it was just horrifying, and actually living through it was pretty horrifying too. But, yeah, yeah it's, cra it's crazy. And, you know, I, I was talking to my mom. My mom works in uh, the medical field or worked in the medical field before she retired. And it was really sad what they didn't do for AIDS patients. However, with yeah. research now, the COVID is like, oh, shit, someone in the government got COVID. Oh, we definitely have to get a vaccine for this. But mm -hmm. the, the sad thing is these, these producers of the vaccine, Johnson, Johnson, Pfizer, all those other ones. Um, the vaccine nearly killed me. And I'm like, what kind of research did you guys do as far as like immunosuppressed people? Like, it seems That's like- That's the problem, yeah. It, this... it, I mean, I think the acceleration, this is why Moderna had been working on mRNA for so long, mm -hmm. because the, the fear was that, well, if we want this to be a blanket vaccine that say we're going to give to all 14-year-olds, or possibly these days, 12-year-olds, to um, protect them against HIV, then it needs to work on everybody, and we need to spend a lot of time in medical trials repeatedly. But with COVID, we just sort of threw all that out the window. And so, yeah, I know several um, people with certain medical conditions who had a hard time with vaccines or just couldn't take them, or they didn't take. So it's like you've had this vaccine and nothing happened. Right. Whereas clearly something happened to me because I'm like having COVID not knowing I have it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and my my parents were vaccinated too when they when they, you know, not boosted or whatever. But it's like, yeah, it's a it, but the, the, I mean the problem with the, that's a problem with public health. And you know, it only takes one. And I don't know if you remember, Kim, I'm not sure you would thalidomide from you know, the FDA made their reputation because they did not approve thalidomide, which in the UK caused a lot of birth defects oh, yeah. in a certain cohort. And the FDA <clears throat> learned from every or everybody, including the FDA, who was successful in not approving it, learned from that, that they needed to be ultra, 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 ultra cautious, because as soon as you get some deformed children uh, yeah, all hell breaks loose. And I remember what a scandal that was in the UK when it when it happened, because I have sort of vague memories of that because I'm 30, some large number. And, you know, it, it, it's, I mean, it, 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 it's all back to risk, isn't it? 
our yeah. favorite topic. But then and, again, and, the FDA doesn't also approve a lot of things. So then they're like, our hands are clean. <laughs> well, of course. <laughs> or, well, and then you, you have to hope for compassionate use, which we don't really have an equivalent of with security. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So as far as like the industry goes and, and cybersecurity, where we're headed, you know, one thing that, that I've heard a lot of people talking about lately is industrial control systems and oh God, yeah. how we're under such a threat right now for ICS. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one thing that bothers me, so we've, we've watched the war in Ukraine and we've watched Russia, you know, hit different, different networks. We've seen them use ransomware as a mm -hmm. weapon. And everybody's freaking out about the vulnerabilities to the U.S. infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And I, I just want I had someone ask me about this this week. That's why I bring it up. And I want to explain to, to, to them on air that our infrastructure, our critical infrastructure, especially the, the five, the multiple grids we have across the U.S. for power, were built pre-internet. Now, mm -hmm. in order to take all of those systems and put them on a controlled network, on a safe internet connection, all that good stuff would require taking down that infrastructure, which is not going to happen. So the vulnerabilities are there, they exist, and it's ripe for the picking. And it's just a matter of time in my eyes. Um, but they, they argued the fact that, oh, no, no, you know, we secure all these plants, we secure all the connections. And, and I'm like, yeah, but Sorry. still, yeah, you, you, you still so have a lot trusting. of RF out there. Yeah, right. So trusting, so naive. I'm sorry. It's like you, we should be doing whatever we can do. Yes. So, you know, if that water control system is internet accessible without a VPN at all or anything else and no firewall, we should fix it. Or yeah. maybe we should just take it offline, get in the car and drive down there when we need to do something. Exactly. But to believe that it's immune from any attack at all especially if it's if it's on a you know a nation state which mm -hmm. then can be combined with with you know the kind of espionage you see in the americans only done less dramatically and with less beautiful people right. um you know it's like yeah it's naive to think that those those bells whistles and levers couldn't be remotely controlled in yeah. the right circumstances because if you have unlimited funds it's some kind of easy to do that stuff. And if you've got an unlimited time frame, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, it's one of the reasons I think we, it's a shame that we don't take rolling infrastructure improvement more seriously. Right. And that's going to come to our industry because if you look at how we've treated bridges, say, and mm -hmm. how many of them are, have structural issues and everything else, apply right. that to like, you know, networks and routers and all this stuff. And even if you're patching them, they're, you know, it, it's like things end of life, things, things erode. There are certain kinds of cables that are so easy to tap into, uh, all of that stuff. And we haven't even scratched the surface of the erosion of entropy uh, claiming everything as it will claim you, <laughs> which doesn't go down well when you say it in a in a board meeting well you, you look at like uh i think it's the history channel that does it they have um a series i like watching it's called when nature takes over 
So what it is, is it's, it's yeah. different cities and different environments. And after people are gone, how quickly nature comes back and takes over the entire infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's fascinating. And, you know, I've oh, seen yeah. it, I've seen it some places around the world where places have been abandoned and it literally looks like post-apocalyptic. I mean, it's, it's really oh, yeah. cool. They, they got it right in that, in that cheesy version of Logan's run. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I always have a movie reference for everything, <laughs> but it's like, you know, the, the, the sort of degradation degradation happens and and you know as anyone who's ever owned a house it's like oh there better be some maintenance and you've got to do certain things even if you pay someone else to do it you still have to do it right and you know but our infrastructure just sort of festers and now that our infrastructure is digital as well that too is going to fester and the weakest points are, you know, if you're in a, a land war, you're blowing up bridges mm-hmm. um, or, you know, trying to close them down or whatever, as you can see from things that have been happening in the recent uh, excitement in the Ukraine, whatever you want to call it. Um, and the same thing happens digitally. So if I'm trying to do something from a, a cyber attack point of view, I'm going to look for whatever is least maintained and the least upgradable, even if I assume everybody does the upgrades and the maintenance. And that's why IoT and, and ICS is on everybody's radar because, oh my God, this thing can't be upgraded at all. Or, you know, or to upgrade it, I've got to take it out of service. And, you know, it doesn't know how to upgrade itself. I'm like, you know, my coffee machine can upgrade itself if I if I put it onto uh, Bluetooth with my phone or put it onto a network. And but yet, something that's deciding how much chlorine to put in my water supply is unupgradable and probably on the internet, at least according to Shodan, um, which is something that I think every politician and CEO of an infrastructure company should be forced to get a demo of Shodan. They should have an account. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, they wouldn't be able to use it. They need to be shown what happened. So you say to them, what kind of IoT device do you make? Let's go find 100,000 of them in you know various countries around the world, including this one. And somebody who knows what they're doing, because I always get the clauses the wrong way around, tap, 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 off you go. And it's like, there they are. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what would you like to do now? Turn them all off? And it's like, Oh, but I think that it's what Kim was saying before. People don't believe it till they see it or till they have it or till it's happened to them. Which is one of the reasons I think, you know, instead of passing a law saying that um, all IoT devices should be upgradable or whatever the hell it was that I saw fly by on the feed today, they should pass a law saying that every company that manufactures them and every organization that uses them should have to understand what it means if they don't secure them. Even it, it, all it takes is is five or ten minutes of someone's time, and you can show them, uh, you know, here's Shodan, here's how to find a bunch of internet connected things that you really wish weren't. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think some of the funniest stories are like, uh, shall we say, internet connected sex toys. I was just which, about to say that, <laughs> which I was loath to talk about, but actually think that would be a good demo. <laughs> I was just about to say that. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's please, crazy how much people stuff listening out. don't do that. No, don't. <laughs> please don't. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to see how much stuff is is really out there. Um, but it reminds me of my my beginning days in cybersecurity, where I had just gotten into industry and people like the companies I'd work for would take me to their potential clients, not because I knew our platform inside and out, but for shock and awe. Like, mm-hmm. oh, can you do this demo and break something? Just break anything. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt like a circus, a circus actor, a sideshow act. <laughs> because you were. Yeah, <laughs> right. And so now, now we have it where people still don't understand. Like, they still don't see it. And I'm like, how, how are you so blind? Like, we've been doing this for 20 years. You know, I've been breaking things for 20 years. How do you not know it, can't, it can happen? So I was in uh, Pennsylvania doing a, uh, a talk for the Pennsylvania Department of Education. And I said this on my last podcast is that it amazed me how many of those educators had no idea what these kids were capable of and what the rest of the world was capable mm-hmm. of as far as like yeah. getting into their networks and stuff. I, th- I think one of the things, and this talks to things that Kim and I have talked about before, one of the things I think is missing is we in the industry and we in cybersecurity love to well, we love to get together and have parties and whatever like we used to. But we also love to give talks and demos to each other mm-hmm. instead of to, to the, the general world. world. It's like, you know, somebody would much rather be at DEF CON giving a speech, feeling like the big man on campus or whatever, than talking to a bunch of high school teachers about what they might need to worry about is happening with the kids that they're teaching, uh, either from a point of view of some kid going out and, you know, doing things that they may wish later that they hadn't done, especially if they were over 18 or, um, or conversely, you know, I mean, it was interesting to me with the whole cyberbullying thing, mm-hmm. how many Adults younger than me, but not children, didn't even realize what was happening, how it was happening, and that it was going on at all. So how are they supposed to spot the warning signs in their own children or in the children that are in their care if yeah. they have no idea that it's even possible? Well, I, I, have one be- I have one better for you. Look at LinkedIn and watch how much cyberbullying bullshit goes on on LinkedIn and nobody mm. says anything about it. That's what surprises mm. me. People in our own industry mm. that watch someone getting attacked on LinkedIn visibly, and nobody mm. steps up and says anything. That's what shocks me. Yeah, I think um, mm. that one of the things that you both kind of brought up was education. And one thing, going back to the you know, the industrial controls, like a lot of people that run those, they're not highly educated people. It's Mm -hmm. not that they're not amazingly talented, they're manual labor, typically manual laborers, um, different things. They're awesome at doing a lot of different things that we're not doing, but the Mm -hmm. type of education that they have is not something that they're getting. And then we're also talking about children coming in that are, um, they're like, um, they have, (laughs) they have like no education at all. Like they're like kids, right. You know, they need, they're teaching their, their teachers. Right. And that's, 
maybe we should just have a better education system. I mean, I hate to say that, but why is it that somebody in a a state like Mississippi or Alabama or Florida? Because they're they're too busy teaching gender to kindergarten, third graders, than talking about things that could directly affect them like cyberbullying and pedophiles on the internet. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And it's, it's sad. And I mean, it really comes back to that education. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I could rant for quite some time about education and education systems. I think, you know, I, I, I have a, a, a longtime friend in the industry. I don't know if you guys know her called Char Sample. And he and I have talked extensively about the need for changes in education in cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. Just like how we educate people that are going to be in our industry, especially if whether you believe there's a shortage or not, whether you believe it's, you know, well, the reason that these, this company thinks they have a shortage is because they're only hiring straight white guys, um, which may well be true, but it's like, you know, whether you believe that or not, there's still, again, because we're a young industry, a young field, we, we haven't, we don't really yet understand how best to teach people and also teach people outside our field. You know, it's like it, someone who runs the water system is doesn't necessarily have to get CPEs to continue to run the water system. And I, I have a lot of issues with with uh, certifications and for another for another day, maybe. <laughs> but um, but there needs to you know the field moves quickly and technology moves quickly, and now everything is software. And so people that are traditionally in fields that did not need continuing education might actually be woefully out of date in five years. Right. So we need to reevaluate lifelong education as well as how we educate our children or how we train people for cybersecurity. Um, you know, but it, 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 it's frustrating, but it's also more human nature. I mean, it, it, it's a lot more fun to get people whipped up about some um, partially partially created, almost non-existent thing that apparently no one is teaching our children, but we want to ban them from teaching it anyway, um, to teaching them things that are actually useful life skills, which also doesn't happen even, you know, you get a degree, you still can't write a resume to yeah. save your life. And it's like, did was that helpful? Would, would a you know, it's like I probably should have taken a year in a tech school as well to learn how to write resumes and, you know, well, interact can't with balance people. checkbooks anymore. People don't or like, well, not that checkbooks really exist anymore, but, no, balance but the it. notional. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, they can't balance like so. I mean, <clears> people are graduating high school and going into college and perhaps can't even understand how money works. And then we're expecting them right. to understand. Right. They say how- they, they save that for the not so smart kids. And I'll tell you <laughs> why I know this, because I didn't try in math. I never passed algebra in high school. So they thought, shit, this kid is going to not graduate because he has to have so many math classes. So what they do, they put me in the special class, which was consumer math. And it's to teach kids mm-hmm. how to balance checkbooks. But the sad thing is you had to not Which be able to pass algebra. Doing. Yeah, you had to not pass algebra in order to get into this class. I mean, I, 
I have actually used algebra in my real life from time to time, but I've used checkbook balancing skills more. Way more, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Way more. Exactly. So I actually I mean, took a class on resume writing in high school, but here's hmm. why. So they changed the number of credits to graduate when I was a senior. So I actually had like 20 extra credits, but I couldn't take a half a day and just take my three core classes that I had to take. So mm. I took just random classes with friends. Like I retook world history and like, and everybody just, and I'm just like, well, why not? Like I took another art class and did all this stuff. But one of them was like a, a careers something, I don't know. But mm. um, unfortunately the biggest thing that I learned out of that was that my friend in the class was also a stalker and I, for the teacher, and I had to go to the principal. So that that's where you learned how to stalk. Yeah. So I was <laughs> like, oh, he, he kept telling me these things. I, you know, I made friends with him in the class. And uh, then I'm like, oh, you, this has gone mm. a little too far. Like, there's yeah. one thing about mm. liking a teacher. And then he later got in trouble for trying to kidnap a lady. So I saved her life, but was not able to save everybody's life but. sounds like a I mean, really well, bad nobody died but sounds like a really bad episode of breaking bad for some reason i don't know what's called <laughs> i just feel like i had a really sheltered high school um i don't know i mean for me it's like there, there was a point in there i wanted to latch on to but now i'm stuck with the with the i didn't save anyone in high schools <laughs> what's what's funny so you talk about the gap the short the shortage of skilled workers in cybersecurity. Yeah. So I've come up with, with the actual solution, and it's not a skills gap. It's not a talent gap. What we're lacking is qualified HR departments. That's the problem. <laughs> totally the problem. I'm sorry, but oh, three, the, years, the, three years experience yeah. is not entry level. Actually, I'm going to not Being from an HR person point yeah. from my prior yeah. life, I won't blame yeah. the HR people. Because they are getting told to do that. I will. I'll tell you. From what, like what. C, the C-suite that has mm -hmm. nothing and knows nothing about I'll, what they I'll doing. tell you what should happen is that hiring managers should take the time to sit down with their HR, with HR. and in-house yes. recruiters and explain to them what this job really is in terms that they can understand. No offense to HR yep. people. Because, you know, I see I see job descriptions that are like, well, you need three years experience, but it's entry level. Well, that's not. Or this job I'm looking at it. It's like that's that doesn't need 10 years experience or something where they, they say CISSP required, but they only require two years experience. And I'm like, well, you couldn't get it without five years experience and people saying that you that they saw you do that. You know, they had this whole people have to vouch for you thing. And it's like, it's sort of, this is one of the mm. things with certifications, which I said I wasn't going to talk about, is just that, you, you know, people slap them on job descriptions, excluding large numbers of people, excluding certain people that can't afford to pay for the certifications. Yep. And you didn't even need one to do that job in the first place. Yep. If you needed it for that job, we could pay you to do it while you're doing the job. Mm -hmm. And, and give you something that works for you as well. But that doesn't happen either. It's like, I think we've created a part of this shortage for ourselves. I think we alienate a lot of people in this <clears> field. 
We do. Um, which comes back to the bullying. Um, yeah. LinkedIn now has become, you know, it's like I've I've definitely seen jobs where they'll take a LinkedIn profile and no resume. So, you know, it's like LinkedIn has become this thing, but now it's become this thing. So yeah. it's like we now we've got a different set of problems written differently. I mean, Glassdoor is kind of entertaining to go read sometimes. Kind of like reading the comments on Wikipedia pages. <laughs> That's true. And looking at the uh, average, uh, I guess, salary for different positions is, is really interesting as far as mm. what's legit and what's not. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but I think that as far as the community goes and the industry goes, like we've kind of gravitated towards like LinkedIn and Clubhouse, some of those other outlets mm -hmm. for communication. Um, but I, I spend most of my time focusing on getting knowledge and getting information out to people outside of cybersecurity. You know, that's why I do mm -hmm. those, those one-off, you know, education conferences and, and some of these other conferences is because everybody in our industry knows everything. You, you can't walk into a conference, give your talk and not have at least one person conflict with what you said. However, oh. if you go outside the industry, people are appreciative they learn something. And normally the conversations that come up afterwards are fantastic. Of course, I've had a CISO in one of my conferences who told me that because he uses a cloud, his network at his school is completely secure. Um, so I had to show him oh, some man. yeah, show him some examples. But you know, educate educating people like that, I think is is paramount. So but you would have gotten straight I, A's at that school, right, Mike? Yeah. <laughs> That's that's oh, yeah. cool. You would have gotten straight A's, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I, I stopped, I stopped um, submitting things to conferences because they just all became sort of, it's like, well, unless I've got something really worth saying or really unique to say or new to say, mm. and since I'm not a, you know, I'm not a vulnerability researcher, so I don't, I don't have, I'm not sitting there jumping at the bit for July so that I can tell everyone about how I found this horrible vulnerability in some sex toy. And, you know, it's like, and, and it's like, really, you know, I, I did do some uh, speaking at conferences that were sort of a different tier. So like IT conferences rather than cybersecurity conferences. And that, you know, you get a, you get an audience that is, that is more appreciative and also you're really educating people. I mean, I think I sort of, I sort of got tired of it in some ways because I used to do a lot of it, <clears throat> and it's like you know, you go far enough back in Black Hat and you can find me, but but it's like, and and you know, I once once we start doing those things in person again, I may go to Black Hat again, uh, although this July I think I'm not going to be able to, just to go s run into random people that I haven't seen in years. Because when you've been in the industry for 30 years, there's a lot of people you know. I'm right there and, with you. You know, it's a, it, that actually is the primary motivation. In fact, in 2020, COVID spoiled my plan to spoil myself on Black Hat and DEF CON and just go without the intention of necessarily learning anything and certainly not presenting, but rather just to reconnect with tons of people that you know accidentally by wandering about which is like the most fun of all so yeah i, I, I really year. i really enjoyed that about defcon 
um, when I first started mm-hmm. going is just seeing people mm-hmm. and, and just walking around talking to people. Um, some of the some of the talks were really good. Some are really bad. Just depends on who you're listening to or what the talk is about. But Same I, with the parties. <clears throat> you know, some yeah. of the parties were really good. Some of the parties were really bad. So. Yeah. If we could go into the parties, but I think that would be a NSFW type conversation. So. <laughs> different kind, different kind of podcast. Yeah, <laughs> right, 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 for sure. Yeah, I, I kind of grew up in that scene, and you know, yeah. I, I I saw it evolve, and then I saw the numbers increase, and, and the the halls being packed, and the fire department yeah. saying, "Hey, there's too many people yeah. here," and that's when you really knew that cybersecurity was taking main stage in basically pop culture mm-hmm. because it was hitting the movies and, and you were seeing movies dedicated to nothing but hacking. <clears throat> and now we're seeing a huge influx of people coming into the industry who that is the first thing that when I say, why are you coming to cybersecurity? That is the first job they always mention. I want to hack. Why do you want to hack? Right. Because I saw it on a movie and, and it looks mm-hmm. really cool and you get to do some really neat stuff. And I'm well, like, and that's-, <laughs> that's like 1%. Yeah. It's one percent, but it is the benefit of mainstreaming. If it if it if it attracts someone's attention who's potentially capable of doing a bunch of other things, they may delve into it, decide that that whole hacking thing isn't really for them, but maybe come across something else. And that's you know when I talk to people, when I talk to younger people, which I occasionally actually do. Um, <laughs> who are in the industry it's like i go to meetups here and where i live and um and it's like well why did you get into this i mean because of where i am a lot of them came from military and just happened to get you know assigned to it or whatever but a lot of them it's like well i started out thinking it was going to be all like stealth hacking this thing and that thing and then i discovered there were a bunch of other interesting things then i got distracted by this and now i'm thinking maybe one day I want to be a CISO so and I'm like so you better take some business classes then and yeah. and there's like a small percentage of them that already are and the rest of them look at you like you're somehow some kind of green monster from the from the lagoon and and it's like no no you're really actually going to have to deal with business if you want to do that Budgets, and it's, everything. You know, oh all that stuff it's yeah. so exciting yeah it was so, uh yeah. I was CISO for a day, I think, at one point. Um, and I'm not sure how much of a CISO like, I was. Is that, is, that like, is that like that old show, Queen for a Day? Yes. yes. So, so I was actually like a CISO for a day. Um, a lot of it I don't remember because I was in the hospital when I became the CISO. Um, so I'm not really sure what happened. I, I just I woke up after the hospital stay and realized that they just used me to get into a Financial Times magazine to promote their business. Um, so uh, it was yeah. a great ride. Didn't get paid for it. <laughs> um, uh, you know, did you get the pay for the day? Did you get the pay for the day? I got no pay. I got this. I woke up one day and I swore that I dreamed I was a CISO, CISO. and I read about it in the paper. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's exactly what happened, actually. Um, <laughs> that's kind of awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'd like to, to get to that point again. I'm still, I'm a manager right now of an MDR, which I really enjoy. I like working with the, the kids that are coming into the industry and, and the interns. Like it, it's really, it's really eye-opening when you start to create an environment that's conducive for people sharing information, as well as 
watching those people progress as other people share that information. So my, my biggest kick is watching an intern come in, putting, putting them with other people that I've already promoted and watching them as they learn and move into that next rank. And before I got there, it was, it was like, they weren't really communicating like they should and, and people weren't helping out other people. And it, it became like, okay, I think I need to create an environment that's conducive for this type of friendship and, and relationship. Mm-hmm. And it just, mm-hmm. it, it took off. And I, I love watching the stuff that they do. And, and, you know, when they catch something for the first time and yeah. they're the only ones who caught it, like that brings me fulfillment. The, the team dynamic is the one thing that I miss by uh, being back in the consulting realm. It's like, because when you've got a team of people and you, especially when you're a management, your, your work is to get them to do their work better and to collaborate more effectively both with each other and with people outside the team. And if more cybersecurity team leaders were doing that, mm-hmm. we would have better integration of cybersecurity into larger enterprises. We'd have less siloing of skill sets and, and you know, <clears throat> everybody gets to be hacker for a day or whatever it is, but it's like not everyone can be on the red team. You know, it's like, it, as you said, it's it's yeah. really just a small fraction. But it's like the, the team building and teamwork is, you know, something that I get to do with my clients a little bit, mm-hmm. but mostly it, it's missing. And I miss that. I think that there's not enough of that. You know, I think a key part of being a CISO is, is the managing down and the team management and encouraging everyone to do the best they can and encouraging even the most junior person to put up their hand and say, we didn't think of this, because that's how security works. It's like right. the outside the box, the, the different thinking. And, and you know, I think it's I think it's a shame that that doesn't exist more than it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And one of the things that, that I, I focus on, I really stress to the team and to other people that are managers or whatever of a SOC is that, you know, don't teach them just blue team skills. Like I taught, you know, my, my, my team how to use DNS to hide data in with steganography. Um, mm-hmm. Show them why that alert is triggered and what triggered it and how it triggered it. You know, mm-hmm. so I, I show them hacking demos and stuff like that because I think that's important. You know, Sun Tzu, I, I, I go by the art of war. That, that is my Bible is to, to defeat your enemy. You have to know your enemy. You have to become the enemy. And a lot mm-hmm. of people in cybersecurity don't understand that. They think, okay, I'm either blue or I'm red or I'm marketing or I'm a vendor or whatever. Well, Why not every natural human, natural human tendency to bucket yourself mm-hmm. or to be part of a tribe. And you said before, you know, everyone in cybersecurity knows everything. And it's not that we know everything. It's just that ideally you need to know, well, lots of people think they do, but you need to know a little bit about everything in the whole field. So it's like, I may not be an expert threat modeler, but I know someone who is, and I know someone who's excellent at it and trains people at it. So, you know, it's like, but if somebody, if, if I were in an organization and I, and I, I wanted to do threat modeling, I would probably buy some copies of his book for my team. I'd probably have him come talk to them if I could afford it, you know? And it's like, uh, I don't expect, I expect to have to know a little bit about everything. Yeah. And that's what um, but I person- don't expect to be an expert. Exactly. I-, I think to call yourself an expert in cybersecurity is very short-sighted. 
um, and very egocentric because technology moves so fast. So many things come out every day. And unless you're pumping out 10 zero days a day, I wish people mm -hmm. stopped calling themselves subject matter experts. I think, you know, other people sometimes will call me that and yeah. I let them say a culpa. But it's like I rarely say, you know, I say it's something that I do. And it's like if you ask me a question about something and I go do some research, I can probably talk knowledgeably about some new threat, uh, possibly even monkeypox. And um, but some new threat within our sphere. And I can probably know where my boundaries are with that. And, you know, if I have a team, my first instinct would be, well, this is something that might interest you. Take this, learn about it, come back and tell us all about it. Right. Because, you know, I don't want to be the only guy doing that. Yeah, and I don't, it, I just don't, you know, I don't understand why cybersecurity doesn't look like a sports team. Like it should be like a sports team. Like you have like, in baseball, like, well, like baseball, like a soft, like the shortstop is what, what did you say? Sorry. Cheerleaders and halftime yeah. and popcorn. <laughs> yeah. Well, they used to have booth babes, I heard. <laughs> There you go. That, that was the I, I went. But. I went to a. I went to a trade show in DC years and years and years ago, and we were thoroughly impressed that one particular vendor had booth babes of both sexes and multiple colors. And we just stood there <laughs> with our mouths open, like, "Wow, they've got booth bimbos that aren't that aren't blonde white girls." No offense right. to blonde white girls. And, then and there were two guys. <laughs> then the company went out of business the next week. No. I don't know. I can't even remember what the company was. I was just too in awe of the of the bouncing booth bimbos who were doing some kind of dance routine. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, so going back I, to the sports oh, thing. Oh, my dog is. Hold on. Yeah. So um, yeah, booth babes and dogs and, and barking. Um, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> but yeah, well, I, I think we're like, all sorry. I just wanted to say, like, with sports teams, like, you know, like in baseball, you have like a shortstop, and like the, you know, the third baseman will fill in for the third, you know, like they everybody covers everyone, and that's what cybersecurity mm -hmm. really should be, right? Yes. Like, Agreed. you know, everybody can and, kind of be a backup for each other. And, and the bubble should extend beyond that. If you're in a company that develops software then the software people should feel like the cybersecurity team have their back and will help them and train them and work with them. And not that, uh, and that some of them actually might know something about coding or code reviewing or whatever, rather than, oh, these are the people that come and stab us in the back with an audit. And, and that's and the way it's that's been how, forever. You know, it's the way it's been forever. Like the beginning of our industry, I'm sure you remember, if security is walking down the hall, I swear mm -hmm. the Imperial Death March from Star Wars was playing in the background. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And people would scatter. Yeah. And it, yeah. it's still that same way. I, I, had, <laughs> I, I had a moment at a, at a company that I worked at where I was sitting writing some code to, it was Python. So it was kind of like, you know, uh, baby code. But um, for those of us that grew up writing C, um, <laughs> and I was writing some code to, integrate a couple of systems together with another one of those REST APIs that I say we should have and actually secure. Um, 
And some engineer came over to ask me a question and just stood there and he's like, you're writing code. And I'm like, yeah, and I read your code too. And I can actually do this. And suddenly that changed the whole dynamic. So the software engineer was like, okay, so he's not going to, he's not approaching this in the same way that, that the people at my old company used to. And I'm like, no, because I want you are what I, you are the people I have to rely on. And the DevOps people are the people I have to rely on to actually do this stuff right and do it on an ongoing basis without, you know, um, I can't have a set of eyes behind every person. Right. And it's like, it's collaborative. It's not, it's not combative, but I think it's still very much, crew in the industry that it's combative and that the death march, you know, the 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 death march does play and the noises are, are, are yeah. And it, it's it's a it's a shame because it's not how we can move forward, you know. No. And that's partially our fault too, the guys who've been in the industry for so long and, mm. and helped build the industries because we had the king's keys of the kingdom and, and knowledge. And we felt like in order to maintain our position and our jobs, we cannot let any of that get away because the second you do, mm-hmm. you have competition. Mm-hmm. And yeah. now that now yeah. that the industry's grown, there's still a little bit of that going on. Oh, but yeah. I think I think the, the person who said it the best was Tanisha Martin from Black Girls Hack. And she said the industry was built from old, long-haired, long beard white guys that coded in mm-hmm. unix and it's true mm-hmm. like that's where we started from mm-hmm. we've come a long oh, way yeah. since then but we have such a long way to go um and mm-hmm. i think the world as a whole i think that's it's a problem we all have diversity well, is not uh, something that's easily accepted you know what i'm saying yeah i know exactly what you're saying <laughs> firsthand and it's uh yeah it's interesting because it's like there is a place for long-haired uh, bearded, you know, Unix programmer uh, guys still in the yeah. industry, but they need to be prepared, and the rest of us need to be prepared to make room for everybody because we can't do it by ourselves. Yeah. I think there was a lot. You nailed it. There was a lot of like, this is our secret society. We are the, you know, the 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 <laughs> the, the, the cybersecurity Freemasons, and we're not going to let in. We're not going to let in. No, no girls allowed. Right, you know, right. like that sort of like uh, written poorly, uh, you know, with crayons, and, and, and na- with crayons and nailed to a tree. And my first, my first approach to that is to say, well, why not? Here are three girls that know more than you do. But, exactly. But that's you know, that's that's I have discovered over the years that the way I think about diversity is not really the same as a lot of other people. So. So I've got I've gotten used to having to um, having to to introduce people to it formally, gently, and now less gently. Yeah. Um. You know, by oh, I don't know when I when I had my consulting company, I I had uh, particular instances of organizations that were very sort of stuck in that mold, and so I would bring, uh, let's say, I would pick whoever was the um, least expected person of my team to be the leader of the meeting. Yes. And it's like, no, no, I'm not leading the meeting. She is. Right. And then she would just, you know, I mean, I'm thinking of a particular person who should remain nameless just in case she doesn't want to be named. And, you know, 
it, it would completely change the dynamic. And by the end of your three hours of meeting with with exuded competency and someone who ran meetings way better than I did um, and also could shut me down when I was talking, which is difficult. Um, it, it, it changed some, you know, if it changed one perspective, it was worth it. And we just, it's a, it's something you have to do every day. A hundred percent. And, and diversity to me, I, I grew up in an environment that wasn't very diverse. Um, but I tell you what, like the, the older I get, the more I've been in the industry and the longer I've been here, Diverse. I really enjoy diversity. I, I've met so many really, really cool. Oh, people. absolutely! Yeah, really cool. People. Absolutely, and very smart and and, yeah. and very above the board when it comes to being able to display competence and 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 really have that knowledge, that real gritty knowledge that a lot of us not lack. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. diversity is real, and it and it should happen in every organization throughout the industry. And if if companies not diverse they need to be ran out of the industry because I, that's the future. And that's the world we live in. Like you can't yeah, just no, make true. this a silo. It's not, it, 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 nothing is a silo and technology yeah. is getting better, but it's always been, there've always been barriers to entry with this myth that women don't do math, for example, or that, that certain other groups of people aren't, you know, just aren't right. And it's like, well, how do you know? Because you haven't let any of them actually try. Exactly. Um, you know, and it's like if you look at if it's certainly with the women in math thing, you just have to look at the Second World War to yeah. discover <laughs> that what was her, what was her name? You're completely wrong. What, what was her um, name? Uh, Hopper. Hopper. Um, yeah, Grace. Grace Hopper. Grace Hopper. Uh, yes. Yeah. Phenomenal. Among others, I mean, there are hundreds of mm. women that did all kinds of things during the Second World War, purely in the technological sphere, including Julia fucking Child, for God's yes, sake. Yes, CIA who, asset. Yeah, <laughs> CIA asset that she was. And it's like, you know, it, it it doesn't take many counterexamples, but they're often just not visible. Right, right. And uh, with Grace Hopper, you know, the only reason why I remember who she is is by what she did and the fact that she had the same we, type of rating I did. I was, I was a cryptologist. I, I worked at uh, I worked at Interleaf, a company you may have heard of in the before time, and we had a conference room called Grace Hopper. We nice. we went through we moved buildings and we went through a whole conference room naming exercise. And the goal was to find conference room names that represented everybody. And so you know, with it, there were a lot of suggestions made and a lot of discussions about things, but. I mean, it, it, what it led to was us saying, are we meeting in the hopper? <laughs> Which was probably disrespectful, but at least, you know, it's like her name was there and you got to see it every day. Uh, it was the largest conference room as well, which I thought was apropos. That's nice. Know. That's awesome. Well, yeah. Ian, it's been, it's been a blast having you on, and I definitely would like to do this again. I think we could go on for hours with, with different topics. And I'd like to cover the certification topic as well. Um, yes. Because I make a, I have, make a note. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm definitely in that same passionate bucket that you are with with uh, with the uh, certification. Like a panel though of like six of us on here for this certification mm. thing because oh, yeah. it's a topic. It is like a firebed topic. So <laughs> we'll, it's we'll a third rail, and I love touching the third rail. Yes. So, <laughs> so for those of you who have British television on. Let's see, May 22nd at 1300, which is 1 p.m. for people who don't understand that time. 
Um, the World Service will have a show about digital ad fraud, which I did Ooh. a piece for them. Uh, they interviewed me on, on Zoom for the documentary. So if you get a chance and you have BBC and, and you have access to that, it's the World Service and it's at one o'clock on the 22nd. Um, other than that, thank you, Ian, for having for being on the show and, and having a discussion with us. It's really a blast. Kim, thank you. Thank you, and, thank you uh, so much for tolerating me. Oh, I loved it. Every <laughs> bit of it. And my ranting. <laughs> oh, you haven't seen me yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'll see you guys next time and uh, be safe and take care. Cheers. Bye. Take care, everyone. Bye.